Wouldn't it be great if Christians could talk about the Bible and various issues without fighting or arguing or name-calling? Imagine if we could just sit down, have a cup of coffee, discuss, and even if we disagree, treat each other with respect. That's what this podcast is all about. Kind, loving, Christian conversations. It's not a sermon or a Bible class. It's just followers of Jesus talking about life and faith. I hope this show encourages you to have conversations like this with people in your life. I'm Wes McAdams, and I want to welcome you to the Crosstalk Podcast. Okay, we're going to jump right into this discussion because today my guest is myself, uh, read by Travis Polly. So our editor uh, is going to read an old article that I wrote. Uh, somebody sent me an article, a link to one of my old articles on instrumental music, uh, written addressing the question of instrumental music in the Old Testament, uh, and if that sort of justifies uh, us using instrumental music uh, in the church today. And so they sent me this link, and I took the time to to go back and read it. And it was written probably four or five years ago, and and reading it really uh, was embarrassing on one on one hand, uh, but also encouraging because. Uh, I think that I've grown quite a bit since then um, and and learned a different way to approach Scripture. My conclusion is still the same about I do believe that Christian people, that the church ought to uh, sing a cappella. I believe that's, that's the way we ought to do things for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but my reasoning and how I arrived at those conclusions has changed quite a bit. Um, and in fact, reading through this list uh, of things that I wrote kind of made me a little bit frustrated with myself. And I thought, how would I address this if it was someone else who wrote it? Uh, how would I address this if we had a conversation like this on the podcast? So that this would be kind of fun uh, for me to have uh, a conversation with my with my past self. So my my future self and my past self are going to have a conversation today and talk about uh, something that I wrote. So so yes, we are going to be talking about instrumental music and and that kind of thing to some degree. But most of all, I, I think that this will help us to see how we model healthy uh, Christian conversations, and that's what this podcast is all about. So I, I think that this will be a lot of fun. So I'm going to have Travis read uh, parts of the article, and then I'm going to interrupt him a little bit uh, and and try to address some of the things that uh, past Wes wrote. So Travis, you can start. As most people already know, I take the presently unpopular position that mechanical instruments have no place in Christian worship. However, every time I write on this subject, someone inevitably asks, what about the instruments in the Old Testament? That is a great question. As the argument goes, if God authorized instruments under the old law, then without some kind of New Testament prohibition against them, why would anyone teach they are not allowed today? I believe if the average person understood the context in which instruments were authorized in the Old Testament, they would understand why they have no place in the okay, church. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you there for just a second. So at, at the beginning here, and that's just the first opening paragraph. But I, I want to say that I appreciate, and I'm kind of gonna pretend like this was written by somebody else, even though we all know that it was written by me. I appreciate that the article is written uh, with an effort and a desire to be biblical and do what's right. Um, that the the overarching desire of the author is to do what is pleasing to God, 
and to examine Scripture to figure out what's pleasing to God and what may not be pleasing to God. And so I appreciate that that's the perspective. I also appreciate the the effort not to be presumptuous, not to assume that uh, we have the right to do this, that, or the other. I think that there is um, something that has been lost in modern Christianity, and that is the desire to um, the old term is walk circumspectly, uh, to be very careful what we do, to not presume we can do whatever we want to do. So I appreciate that that this article is, is addressing the issue from that perspective, that we don't want to be presumptuous, that we want to walk circumspectly. Um, and, and again, as I said before, I, I still arrive at the same conclusion uh, as far as how what we practice, but... I do uh, disagree with some of the approaches. So, so let me say this at the very beginning, that, that uh, the article is begging the question. It, it really um, is reflecting sort of what I believe now to be a backwards way of reading Scripture. We tend to um, ask questions and say things like, well, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? Um, already there's an assumption built into that question. The, que- the assumption is that the Bible says anything about X, Y, or Z, or that that the Bible, that Scripture, the authors of Scripture, that they believed that that issue, whatever issue it is, was important, um, or that what they were talking about when they were talking about that, that that was the main point of what they were talking about, as opposed to just being a sub-point or a passing point. Um, and so I think that that this article makes that that mistake in that it automatically assumes the issue of using instruments to worship God is an important issue. Um, and and that's, that's sort of begging the question. Um, a, a more foundational question might be, is that an important question? Is that a question that we should be asking? Is that a question we should be wrestling with? Um, and in order to arrive at the, the right conclusion on that, we have to allow um, an inductive reading of Scripture, which means we sit down and we read the Scripture, and we let the Scripture teach us what's important and what's not important, um, as opposed to us drawing our own questions and then going to the text and saying, what does the text say about this? Well, that's deductive, and there's a place for that, uh, but we're automatically assuming that our question is important or that Scripture addresses our question at all. Um, and I think that that's sort of the approach that this this article takes, is assuming that the issue of using instruments to praise God um, is a big issue. Um, again, I, I know what I'm saying may make people think that I, I don't hold the position that I do. I do, I do believe in a cappella singing, um, but uh, to assume that this is a huge issue with lots at stake here, you know, to assume that um, is based probably on the last several hundred years of church history, not necessarily based on an inductive reading of Scripture, because if we just sat down and read the Scriptures from the beginning to the end, I don't think there's anything in the Scriptures that would say, hey, one of the major things you ought to be thinking about and talking about is whether or not you use instruments in worship. That that probably would never even cross our mind if we just sat down, but because it's come up and because we fought about it and argued about it and wrestled with it, not just within church of Christ over the last couple hundred years, but within lots of different uh, religious groups, uh, there has been a discussion about it and, and um, argument over it, uh, even back to the beginning of the Reformation movement. Okay, so with that being said, again, I, I think that there's a foundational problem here a little bit, um, but um, 
other than that, let's let's go ahead and, and address the next one. So the first point is that God authorized instruments. Go ahead, Travis. There are a few isolated instances of instrument playing about which we are not told if God approved. Example, 2 Samuel 6, 5-8. through 8. But there are some who claim God only tolerated and never authorized instruments in the temple worship. They claim David alone was responsible for their introduction. Yes, the instruments of the temple were often called the instruments of David, but it is specifically stated that David had God's authorization to implement the instruments in the temple worship. And Hezekiah stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. Second Chronicles 29-25 As you can see, it is made pretty clear that the commandment was from the Lord. Okay, and this is a point that I really appreciated uh, in the article, was that uh, there are some people, again, because they approach the text backwards, and they want to prove that instruments shouldn't be used, and that's the their foregone conclusion. That's already the conclusion that they've drawn. Then they go back into the Old Testament, and they try to make the, the point that instruments, that, that was never God's idea, that that was David's idea. David made that up, and they never should have even been using them in the Old Testament. God put up with it, and God tolerated it until the New Testament, and now all of a sudden uh, God says, no, you can't do that anymore, even though it doesn't specifically ever say no, you can't do that anymore. But um, so, so again, that's reading the text backwards. It's it's reading our ideas into the text. That's called eisegesis, uh, as opposed to exegesis, which is reading the text and getting the meaning out of the text. Um, so again, as as the article states, um, it's very clear in the Old Testament that that the instruments and the, the structure, the worship in the temple with the, the instruments, that was God's idea. It was commanded by uh, the seers and the prophets to the kings, and, and they implemented it on God's behalf, on God's request, on God's command. So, so yeah, I, I think that the idea that God never wanted instruments in temple worship, I, I think that's a, a silly idea, and I'm glad that the article points that out. Okay, number two. We often make blanket statements like, God approved of instruments in the Old Testament. It would actually be more accurate to say God approved of certain instruments in the Old Testament. The commandment from the Lord through his prophets was that specific instruments be played in the temple worship. Whenever reformers like King Hezekiah restored temple worship to its intended state, they would go back to the commandment God gave David through the prophets. Undoubtedly, there were other instruments in existence that could have been added to the worship, but they did not presume to add to the Lord's command. To bring in an instrument that had not been commanded would have been sinful. It would have been like the unauthorized fire offered by Nadab and Abihu, for which they died before the Lord. Okay, um, there's there's several things I want to say on this. First, um, yes, I, I agree. I, I I still hold the position that. Um, that, yeah, God was very specific about the temple worship, about who was to be playing the, the instruments, and about which instruments were to be played. Um, the, the problem that, that I want to push back on here just a little bit is when, when the author, who was me, uh, wrote, uh, to bring an instrument that had not been commanded would have been sinful. I, I think that's an assumption, and I think, again, that's reading into the text to say it would have been sinful or to compare it 
uh, to Nadab and Abihu and the, the strange fire there. Now, yes, Nadab and Abihu, they sinned against the Lord. Uh, they were presumptuous. They did something that they shouldn't have done. Um, there may have been other issues at play there. Uh, but but again, I think that we, we make a mistake when we take one example like Nadab and Abihu, and we use that um, as this blanket example and say, okay, we should always uh, do everything in light of what happened in that instance. That's a pretty isolated incident uh, to to presume that sort of uh, um, a paradigm with, and then and then to assume that for the temple worshipers to have brought in additional instruments would be sinful, which implies rebellion against God. I do think that Nadab and Abihu were being rebellious, but to assume that God would have seen it that way, that God would have necessarily seen it that way, that God wouldn't have looked at the person's heart, or that there wouldn't have been other extenuating circumstances, because we do have other instances in Scripture where uh, they did things in addition to what they were commanded, and they weren't condemned, or it wasn't called sin. And so that this assumption it, it may be correct. Who knows? I mean, it may be that God would have said, no, 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 I didn't tell you you could use this instrument. I only told you you could use these instruments, and to bring in something else, you're wrong and that's sinful. I, and maybe maybe God would have approached the situation like that. We don't know, and so it's, um, it's hypothetical, and it in an article that is trying to not be presumptuous <laughs> by not using the instrument, it's actually being presumptuous to, to presume that God would have seen that as rebellion. And so I appreciate that we want to not be presumptuous and say, hey, I can do whatever I want to do. I want to use this, so I'm going to use this. I don't think we ought to do that, but I also, at the same time, don't think we should be presumptuous in saying something is a sin unless Scripture actually says that's a sin. So if we're going to call something sinful, and we're going to say that's wrong, that's rebellion to God, um, then we need to let Scripture say that, not us. Um, we can say, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you ought to do that. That's not authorized. You should. I, 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 I wouldn't do that. I don't think that's good. You could say all of those things, but to say that's rebellion, you're, you're speaking where Scripture hasn't spoken. And so I, I, I would push back on, on that one sentence and that idea there. Okay, go ahead, number three. Again, when people speak of Old Testament worship with instruments, they seem to imply that anyone could have played an instrument to the Lord in worship. However, the truth is that only the Levites were authorized to be stationed in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, lyre, and trumpets. People from other tribes, regardless of their musical ability or desire, were not authorized to play with the Levitical musicians. For someone else to have been so presumptuous would have been similar to King Uzziah's burning of incense in the temple, for which he was struck with leprosy. Second Chronicles 26, 16 through 23. I actually think this is a really good point, uh, and, and it's one that probably is overlooked quite a bit, um, that, that these instruments were very specifically tied to uh, the temple. And, and it was really a part of the temple worship that the, the Levites uh, were offering, uh, the service that they were offering to God. And so it was all part of ritual and ceremony and, and temple worship. Um, and so it, it's really... It's really, I think, important. We, we may get this to this later in the article. I don't remember, but um, but the 
the Jews after the exile. So when when Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Babylon, destroyed the temple and the Jews went off into captivity, uh, into Babylonian captivity and exile, when they came back from exile, they began to build synagogues. Synagogues was a post-exile um, innovation. Um, and so they they decided that they were going to build these these places of, of prayer and study uh, throughout um, throughout Israel. And so they built these these synagogues and in their synagogues, they sang, but they didn't use instruments because they tied instrumental music to uh, to temple worship. And so that was something that we do at the temple, and then the temple's been destroyed. And so then even after the temple is rebuilt, um, they still continue to not use the instrument in uh, in the synagogues. And to this day, most synagogues, there's obviously exceptions, but, but a lot of synagogues to this day uh, don't use instruments because it's tied to temple worship. So I, I do think that this is a, a point that's often overlooked, that um, when uh, the apostles would go to synagogues and convert them to Jesus and, and to help them to see that Jesus is their Messiah, and they would begin to follow Jesus, um, the synagogues weren't using instruments anyway, and so there would really be no reason to for that even to be an issue, or for that even to come up, that was something that was done at the temple. Um, and then, even when Gentiles became followers of Jesus, and, and then they were incorporated into the messianic synagogue life, the the, the church life. Um, again, it, it seems to have followed pretty closely with the synagogue model. Um, and so, really, temple worship, temple music was instrumental, and it it, it appears, at least for quite a while, uh, that church and synagogue life and worship uh, continued to be a cappella. So uh, that's a, just a historical side note. But okay, let's go to number four. Amos, the shepherd turned prophet, was sent to the northern kingdom of Israel to rebuke and admonish them. Israel, in order to keep people from traveling to Jerusalem and Judah, built their own temples in Israel. These temples were not authorized places of worship, and their priests were not Levites. Their lives and their worship were extremely paganistic, and although they still attempted to worship Jehovah God, they did so in an unauthorized fashion. Amos was sent to tell them God was not pleased. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, and the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps I will not listen. Amos 5, 22-23 Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music. Amos 6, 4 through 5. Let, let me let me interrupt you there a little bit. I, I, just, I, I can't. I, this, is, this is where it gets into the really embarrassing part. So, um, okay, so again, and it's amazing to me how, uh, again, it's embarrassing to me how I have been so capable of missing context. And so I, I, I headed this, the article heads this section, God rebuked unauthorized music. Well, that's just not true. You know, that's just not, that's not really what Amos is doing. Now, I, I would say that, that yes, their, their worship, their temples, 
because they were idolatrous. They were adding God to their, uh, their list of deities that they were worshiping in their temples that were separate from the Jerusalem temple. Yes, that was part of Amos's message, but, but when I quote these passages like Amos 5, 22, 23, uh, it, sa- it does say, I'm not going to listen to the melody of your harps, but, <laughs> but you have to read the context because the, the very next vo- verse says, Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I mean, the, the point he's making is because of your injustice, because of the way that you're living, because you are perverting justice and you're not doing or being the people that you're supposed to be, I'm not going to listen to your praise. And how we've missed that message all through the prophets, I don't know. I, I, I have missed that for so many years that that God has said over and over again, and even Jesus' message is that I'm not going to listen to your ceremony and your rituals, even when it's right. Theirs wasn't right, but, but even when it's right, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. I'm not going to listen to your praise when you are ignoring hurting people when you're doing injustice, when you're ignoring the widow and the the sojourner and the fatherless, when you're ignoring the poor, when you're ignoring the, the slave, when you're ignoring the broken, and you're not doing what's right by them, I will not listen to your praise. And, and that's really what Amos is saying. It's not about rebuking unauthorized music. That's not, that's not the point that he's making. Um, and it, it saddens me that, that I pulled that verse so out of context to support uh, my preconceived ideas, to, to support the, the conclusion that I wanted to support. And so I, I pulled that out of context. Okay, you can read the next cringeworthy paragraph. As we've already seen, David had been authorized to appoint Levites to play harps. However, Israel was not authorized to do what they were doing. As the New Living Translation puts it, these musicians of Israel fancied themselves to be like David. They were presumptuous enough to believe they could do whatever they wanted in worship, and God would be pleased. Okay, so here's the problem with that. Um, I took that one sentence that says, like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, and I assumed that the problem that Amos was rebuking was that they were, quote, inventing instruments of music. Well, the problem is that the, the larger sentence says so much more than that. He, he, he says, this is verses 4 and 5, within what I quoted, "'Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves.'" who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp. I mean, he's rebuking their laziness. He's rebuking the fact that they're lying around, that they're singing idle songs. So it's amazing that I honed in on the the idea of inventing songs and use that to support the idea that God is rebuking unauthorized music, which is not the context. It's not the point that Amos was making. Um, But I missed where it says these idle songs. That's the whole point. Not idol, I-D-O-L, not idol like false god, but idol as an I-D-L-E, lazy songs. And and that's what he's rebuking. He's rebuking the fact of how they're living, that they're living these drunken, gluttonous lives uh, rather than being the people that God called called them to be. And so, again, this is the problem that we have when we approach Scripture like it's a dictionary or an encyclopedia. This is the problem that we have when we formulate our questions in our mind. And again, I mean, we can have the same problem on the other hand, too. If somebody decides, hey, I want to have a big rock band and I want to turn— 
what used to be a solemn, even celebratory though, um, quiet, reflective uh, synagogue type of first century worship. I want to turn that into a rock concert. Um, where can I go in the Bible to support that idea? Well, wait, wait, that's not the way you read the Bible, but nor is it instruments are sinful and wrong and bad and nobody should ever use them. Where can I go in the Bible to support that idea? All of those things are reading the Bible backwards. What we have to do, what we must do, is we have to read the story of the Scriptures for ourselves and read from Genesis to Revelation. And I think if we do, I don't think we'll turn it into what many modern churches have turned it into with smoke machines and rock concerts. I don't think that's what what we would come away with, because that surely isn't what Paul was talking about when he's talking about singing together as a community psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so that the Spirit of God and the Word of Christ dwells in us richly. I I don't think that's the conclusion that we would reach if we inductively read the Scriptures, but nor do I think that we would come up with what, what I'm saying in this article in that God was rebuking unauthorized instruments uh, in Amos or anywhere else, because that, that just really wasn't the point. Again, I still come to the conclusion, for lots of different reasons, that the church should sing a cappella, um, but this isn't, isn't one of those reasons. Okay, the last point, number five. Go ahead, Travis. God replaced the physical with the spiritual. Okay, I can't even go any further than that. <laughs> okay, this has become one of my pet peeves, and so it it really bothered me when I saw that I wrote I wrote that out. Um, okay, so I'm not even going to have you read the the rest of it, but um, but but the whole point is that I had this idea, and I and I had heard lots of preachers and teachers over my life say things like this: that the Old Testament was physical, and the New Testament was spiritual, and that God is moving away from the physical and to the spiritual. There are so many problems with that. Um, one that idea isn't found in Scripture. That's just not a biblical idea. Um, number two, that's an, there's an assumption that something can't be both physical and spiritual. Um, God always wanted his people to love him with all of their heart and their mind and their soul and their strength. He wanted their worship to come from their heart. So even in the temple, even with the Levitical priesthood and with the the Levites that were singers and musicians and players, um, he wanted it to be both physical and spiritual. And when we move into our following of Jesus and we we clothe the, the the naked and we feed the hungry and we put a roof over the the heads of the of the homeless and and we break the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him, all of these things are physical but they're also spiritual. They're physical and they're spiritual. There is no dichotomy. I think the problem that we have is that we've read Hebrews and we've misunderstood Hebrews. Now, Hebrews talks a lot about the temple worship and how it was a shadow of of other things, but really what it's talking about is, is saying that the temple in Jerusalem, which apparently would have continued to be a huge draw for Jewish followers of Jesus who had who had joined themselves to Jesus and Jesus' community, but were being drawn back into Judaism and and were saying, man, I, you know, I just, this is where my family is, this is where my friends are, this is this is my past. I mean, this is what Scripture taught us to do, was to be at the temple and to do these things. And they were tempted to leave Jesus and to abandon the, the community of Jesus' followers and to join themselves back to the, the temple and the temple worship. And, and 
what the Hebrew writer is saying is that this temple in Jerusalem really is a shadow of the temple in heaven. It's a, it's a shadow of the unseen temple, the temple not built with hands, the in the city not built with hands. And, and Jesus, as our better high priest, has offered himself as a better sacrifice, and he's entered into the Holy of Holies, not in Jerusalem, but in heaven, the actual Holy of Holies, and 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 that's that's where his sacrifice and his atonement has taken place, and that's where we are actually are is we are we've been drawn into the actual Holy of Holies through Jesus. We are right now in the presence of God, worshiping God because we have a better high priest, and so he's he's drawing that distinction, not to say that the church is sort of the spiritual representation of the physical things in the old. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that right now we have better promises and we have a better inheritance because of what Jesus has done, because he's gone into the actual temple for which the temple in Jerusalem is is but a shadow. Um, and so I, th- I think that we make a huge mistake when we say, um, okay, well, it was a uh, spiritual instrument in the Old Testament now, or a physical instrument in the Old Testament, now it's a spiritual instrument. Um, that's just not, again, that's not an argument that Scripture makes. If it was an argument that Scripture made, then then yes, absolutely, but that's not an argument that Scripture makes at all. And so, again, my conclusion is, for lots of other reasons, that the Church ought to sing a cappella. Um, but to go to the Old Testament or to try to draw these arguments that I've drawn um, are problematic. Um, but but kind of leaving that aside and, and just moving on to this little bit of a bigger picture, uh, the internet is interesting uh, because it it shows us it shows us sort of mistakes that we've made in the past, and and we can look back and say, wow. I wish I hadn't posted that picture, or I wish I hadn't gone there, or I wish I hadn't done that. Uh, but it can also help us to realize I've grown some. I'm I'm a different person now. I I see things a little bit, a little bit clearer now, hopefully. And and so that that's helpful. I, I've told people for years that if you're the same person that you were ten years ago, there's a problem. Uh, we have to be growing. We have to be coming coming to a better understanding. So I appreciate the people that have sort of stuck around uh, with the blog and the podcast over the last uh, 10 years or however long, uh, because uh, I, I'm constantly learning. And that, that's what I want this, this to be. I want the podcast and the blog uh, to be learners of Jesus, people that just say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. I don't know everything. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Won't you come along with me? Let's let's learn and let's grow together. Let's come to a better understanding together. Um, let let's let's have better conversations. That's what the podcast is all about. Is about sitting down and having these conversations. And again, today the conversation has been kind of fun because it's a conversation with myself. Uh, but I meet people all the time that are me in 10 years and me 10 years ago. So I meet people that, you know, they are where I'm headed. I just don't know it yet. And I need to listen to them because they're helping me get to where God wants me to be. But I also meet people that are me from 10 years ago. Um, And sometimes those are the people that I'm most impatient with. I'm most irritated at because I'm projecting myself onto them. And I'm saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And, but what I'm really doing is saying, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Um, and, and 
I ought to be incredibly patient, both with the people that know what I, I need to know and where I'm going, and with the people that are at the place I used to be, um, because we're all on this journey together. We're trying to figure it out together. And thank God, thank Jesus, thank God for his grace that it isn't by our own rightness or having the corner on knowledge and understanding uh, by which we're saved. We're saved because God has been gracious to us and offered his son who has gone into the holy place and made atonement for us so that we can be his people and that we can we can worship him with our hearts and with our minds, with our voices, and, and that we can join each other on this journey of, of walking through life, trying to figure things out together. So I appreciate y'all listening. Have a great day. I want to thank my church family, the Church of Christ on McDermott Road, and our editor, Travis Pauly, for making this podcast possible. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. I also want to invite you to check out Logos Bible Software, who has partnered with us to give our listeners a great discount. Just go to radicallychristian.com slash Logos, L-O-G-O-S. I think you'll love the software and you'll get a great discount by using that link. As always, I love you, God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.